0: You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Regan Ryder, our two sons, are 14 and 12 now, but I remember back when they were little and I was teaching them how to swim. Anybody taught their kids how to swim? You remember what that was like? And so basically what we would do, like most kids, you would stand them on the edge of the pool and dad or mom would get in, they would jump into your arms. And then slowly without warning, you would just start going back further and further. Eventually they had to dive in the pool, remember, and swim to you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Galilee boys don't Uh, float very well. (laughs) Uh, So they were like rocks at the bottom of the pool, right? So I remember one time Rig or Ryder had jumped in the pool and then sank right to the bottom and I had to swim over to him and and in the midst of water splashing and flailing of arms, I had to reach into the bottom in the chaos and pull him up and and save him. Uh, One of the reasons I tell you that is because there's a tip I want to give you if you're ever drowning. If you're ever drowning and someone attempts to save you, the best thing you can do is to stop fighting and surrender. right? Because if you keep fighting and someone's trying to save you, you may continue to drown and you may drown the person trying to save you. Well, why do I tell you that? Because the same thing goes for God today. The same principle can be applied to our relationship with God. In fact, the nation of Israel back in the Psalm we're gonna read today was drowning in a sense. They needed God to step in. They needed some help in the midst of turmoil and disaster and destruction and their enemies were always against them. And God is going to give them one line as a promise that if you do this, then this will happen. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. And we're gonna look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 10. Now this is a very familiar verse, but we're gonna look at it and uh, examine how we can be present in the presence of God. Uh, Our series, Be Present Now. If you have a Bible, we like to say word, or you're looking at the screen, or you're joining us online, and you're there, you could say word today. Amen, the word of the Lord. Now, the CSB translates this verse, stop fighting, but your translation may say, be still and know that I am God. Stop fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so we're going to see these two promises. I'll break them apart, but God is going to show us that when we are present in his presence, by being still, we will then what? That's the middle service. This is not the eight o'clock service, so we don't have any, it's not too early, right? When we are present and we are still, we will then know what? God, we will know God. And so let's take the first part, be still. Now, for years it's always been translated be still, but more recently, uh, the CSB particularly translates it as stop fighting, and the idea is this. Stop trying to fight the battles for yourself without God's strength. Stop trying to strive for control of everything. Anybody uh, have that problem? Stop trying to be in control and relinquish that, surrender that to God. Now this was a hard principle for the nation. Why? Because their entire existence up to this point was in a battle. I mean, think about it, they got out of Egypt and they left and went across the Red Sea. They were always in a battle with the Egyptians to get away. Then they get into the wilderness, they were battling various things, food, starvation, thirst, enemies. Then they get to the Jordan River and right after they cross the Jordan, they go to Jericho and battle them. And then they go through the town and they're gonna battle throughout their existence to drive the foreign nations away. And so God says you're at a crossroads right now. You have two options. You can continue fighting in your own strength, which you've done, or you can be still and relinquish and surrender to me. I have a feeling some of you are presently in a battle right now. And sadly for some of you, you're tired of fighting. Maybe if you're here, you're joining us online, you're in a battle with pharmaceutical pills. You have an addiction that you're battling. Maybe it's a porn addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's an addiction to gambling. It blows my mind from someone who had a, somewhat of a gambling addiction years ago, somewhat. I had a gambling addiction years ago. It blows my mind how teenagers now have, we've sensationalized and glamorized gambling today. You can gamble and bet on anything at any time right now. If you have a credit card, doesn't matter uh, in, in this current, which is, a, which is a problem. Some of you have an addiction to gambling. Maybe you're in a battle with depression. Maybe you're in a battle to win back your wayward son or daughter right now who's disconnected. Maybe you're in a battle with debt or your finances. Maybe it's a child's disability that you're trying to walk through right now. Maybe you're in a battle with a husband or a wife who presently is filing a wanting a divorce. Maybe it's a battle with an ex-wife or maybe an ex-husband or a past relationship. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a crisis in your life. Maybe it's cancer, particularly. Maybe it's a coworker at the office. Maybe it's a neighbor down the street. Maybe it's your boss, God forbid. Maybe it's a family member. You're in a battle. Maybe it's a battle in your head with suicidal thoughts or anxiety. I don't know what you're battling right now, but I want you to hear this, and here's the promise of God. God is with you in the battle. He's always present with you. But the only way you're gonna realize that God is with you, the Bible says, is that you're gonna have to slow down long enough and stop fighting in your own strength and relying on the strength of God. This is one of the principles of God in the Bible. God never catches up to your pace He always waits for you to slow down in order to catch up to him. He's never going to catch up to you. In fact, he's like, hey, run all you want, but I'm going to be kind of just walking slowly. If you want to join me, you can kind of slow down and and catch up. Now, God's presence in the midst of a battle doesn't mean that you're going to be immune from pain or suffering. God's presence in the midst of a battle doesn't mean that even the pain and suffering will end or cease, that's not the promise. It doesn't even mean that it's gonna turn out as you envision. God's not gonna rubber stamp your dreams just because he's alongside of you in the battle. What it means is, is that when you need him the most, unlike other people in the world at times, God will never leave your side, and that's encouraging. He's always gonna fight for you. He's gonna go ahead of you in life. He's gonna prepare a tables before you, table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's gonna be the strong tower you need. He's gonna lift you up when you're weak. He's gonna carry you when you cannot walk. He's gonna be the one that renews your strength if you allow him to. That's our God. So the question is, how does that happen, right? How do we see that in our life? I have to take you back to the mid 90s. I was a teenage boy, many hobbies, but back then it was computers and they were brand new at the time. And uh, I remember, I still remember when, when that Christmas, my mom and dad brought home a 386SX, quote, supercomputer. <laughs> Anybody remember this thing? I mean, this thing rivals the iPhone in our pocket today. I mean, this thing was state of the art. It was light years ahead of the 16-bit, and eighty-six chip computers that came before. I mean, this thing was flying. You take an MS-DOS floppy, remember that? Put that thing in there, turn that switch down and you were ready to go, right? I mean, you had this amazing processing speed. And if you coupled that computer, which by the way, I was telling my mom this story last night. She said, I don't know if you remember this, but you broke the computer in one month. We had to send it back to California. Thanks mom, I I didn't remember that. But anyway, I was tinkering, I guess, with the But when we got it working again, what we did is if you coupled that computer with a modem and a phone line, you were cooking with grease. I mean, this is a way that you could connect with every bulletin board in the world, and through AOL, I mean, you had access to the world. Now, back then for some of the other people, like, what are you talking about? The way computers work back then in the internet is, you had one line into your home from us, South Central Bell, and what happened was, remember that? And what happened was, if anyone picked up the phone while the modem, you remember this, was connecting, you were met with a cacophony of sounds, of buzzes and screeches and loud, and, and then the moment you hung it up, you disconnected the modem. So you had to reconnect to the internet. And sadly, it would always drop the connection. You know, you're like, what just happened? And the way to fix it, if you remember, in the instructions were, uh, "What was this outline. You had to go to the modem and unplug it from the wall. You waited about 10 seconds, remember this? And then you plug the modem back in. And when you reset the modem, it was able to work again. Now, why do I say that? Because that is this, look at me. That is the same principle of how your life and my life works. Anne Lamont, who is an author, said this line. She said, almost everything in life will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. I love that line. Almost everything in life will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. I believe there are some, and you probably wouldn't admit to this, but deep down inside, you know that you could benefit from a reset button on your lives right now, you could benefit from defragging the hard drive of your heart today, just kind of starting over. You're running at such a frenetic pace and you're so connected to the connectivity of our world that you are teetering on the point of burnout today. And I'm not throwing stones at you because my life is a case study of this. I remember years ago, my mantra in life was this, I'm going to rest when I'm dead. Sounds macho, right? Sounds courageous. Sounds uh, Herculean. Man, that's awesome, and we applaud that. Man, that, this guy's going for it. You know, I used to say, uh, I'll sleep when I'm gone. You ready to say that? I wanna burn out as a bottle rocket for Jesus, you know? That's what I used to say, you know? Bottle Rock has got a lot of energy for a short period of time and then it's pretty much useless after that. And I think all of us would say that in a sense, like we want a prosperous, abundant, effective, victorious life for Christ, but we want it as long as it fits into our schedules and as long as it looks like we want it to, as long as God rubber stamps my plans that I think are right, then things will go well for me. But the Bible teaches a different way to approach life. We talked about this last week. The Bible doesn't say live in balance. The Bible says live in what? Or teaches. This rhythmic life, chronos kairos time. If you hadn't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And we see this all through the Bible. I mean, I could just give you a case study on the gospels of Jesus resting and working, resting and working. But I'll give give it to you all the way back in Genesis chapter one. God begins the Bible with a rhythm. He works for six days. And then on the seventh day, what does he do? Do you remember? He rests. Now, does God have to rest because he's tired? No, God doesn't rest for his benefit. God rests for our benefit to give us a model or example to follow. One of the greatest lines I learned through that two year journey, two and a half year journey, learning about silence and solitude, sitting with the Lord is from the French philosopher, Blaise Pascal. The greatest line uh, as, as it deals with silence and sitting with the Lord. Here's what he says. He says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit alone in a room by himself or herself. Let me read it again. All of man's problems stem or all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit alone quietly in a room by his herself or herself why because you have to come front and center with your thought life you have to be present in the present of an omnipresent god and for some of you that is terrifying Now what's fascinating about this quote is he didn't say that quote a couple years ago, which would have been applicable in our social media and connective culture. He actually said that quote in the 1600s, 1600s, the 17th century. And he shows us today, I think it's pertinent today, that we have the same problem today. There was a study done in the Journal of Science, you can look it up, I think it was the late 90s. And this study was done on a number of participants that were asked to sit in a room alone by themselves in silence for anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Five to 15 minutes. And what this study found, surprisingly, is that some of the participants would rather be shocked with a mild electric shock than sit alone silently in a room. Is that crazy? No, it just shocked me. I, five minutes, I will just take the shock, you know? I mean, that's the word we like. Now, it's easy to criticize these individuals. I know at first I was like, what's wrong with these people? They're delusional. You know, these people must be abnormal. And then the Lord said, hey, big boy, let's audit your life. You ever got God do that? And what about these people, wait a minute, any moment I have a free moment, do I immediately grab for my cell phone wherever I am? Think of your life. You're at the DMV. Well, okay, thank God for cell phone. But let's just say you're in car line, right? Okay, the DMV, no offense to DMV works, but okay, you're in the car line. You're in the car line. What do you do? Thank God, you're just scrolling endlessly through your phone. Uh, some of you are at a red light, immediately stop. You're scrolling in. Some of you go through the red light, immediately scrolling through your phone. We cannot be disconnected from the connectivity of our phones. Think of, God forbid, the time you left your phone at home unknowingly, only to find out after you arrived at work. Your whole day has collapsed. I mean, like, what am I gonna do? You can do what we did 20 years ago. You're gonna talk to people face to face, right? I mean, try to take a cell phone away from a teenager. That's dangerous. For a day, or better yet, try it for an hour. Teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the whole world has fallen apart. Now, how do we get here? How do we get to the place where we are so connected, we cannot live disconnected? I wanna take you on a short journey through history. These are kind of a succinct journey, but I wanna give you a journey through history of how we got here. It all started, I think, in 1367 in Germany. You see, in 1367, if you go back in history, you'll realize that was the first time a clock was introduced in the public square. See, prior to that, and this is not the clock in the public square, but it's like the clock in the public square. And it was the first time that man transitioned from natural time with light and darkness to artificial time or man-made time by a clock. And so instead of waking up with the rhythm of the sun and going to bed at sundown, people then stayed up later and they got up a little earlier. And they said, you know what? We're no longer bound by God's creation and time. We can make our own. Do it ourselves. Then in 1879, the light bulb was invented by, anybody know, Mr. Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison came on the scene, it was a blessing, why? Because it gave you light and it gave you warmth from the glow, but it also shortened our sleep time. Now watch this, prior to the light bulb in 1879, guess what the average hour was of an American for daily sleep? Guess how many hours the average American slept daily? 10 hours a day. When was the last time some of you said, man, I'd I'd die to have 10 hours a day while your teenager sleeps every Saturday and Sunday, right? 10 hours a day, right? I mean, everything changed. And then everything changed again, some seismic shift, the seismic shift happened in 2007 for the better and for the worse when Steve Jobs released for the first time, the iPhone. It's hard to wrap our minds around this, but think about this. We have only had this iPhone or, 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 or Android in a sense after, but we only had this iPhone in our pockets for less than 15 years. Now, here's why I say that. Nobody in here, including the smartest analysts and researchers and psychiatrists, nobody has any idea of the long-term effects on a generation that is constantly connected, nobody. We're all in this together and we're going to figure it out uh, the hard way. Just for for context, guess what the average number of times the average American touches their phone a day? Do you know what the number is? Just touches the phone a day. How many times do they touch the phone a day? 2,617 touches a day on average. Now that's the average. My sons, like yours, a little bit more. Your daughter, twice, triple, right? I mean, no offense. Well, let's just be on. I mean, let's just be on, right? And the average session is two and a half hours a day over the course of 76 different sessions. Now that's the average. There are some who are double that and triple that. And here's the problem I want you to get. I sell that to say this. Constant connection with the world leads to disconnection from God. There's no other way to to get around it. You, You can't. You, you can't argue with it, I mean, it's the reality. Constant connection with the world leads to a disconnection from God. And the reason is, and what it does is, it, it leads us to think that many of us know of Jesus, but we don't personally know Jesus. We don't intimately know him. We know about him, we know of him, which is the second point of the message. The first is when you are present with God in the presence of God by being still, then you will then, what? Audience participation. Know God intimately. Look what verse 10 says. Be still and know, or stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. What he's saying here is this. When you're still and know that I'm God, then God begins to be exalted in your life and throughout the world. Fighting stops, wars cease. Peace reigns, the kingdom of heaven advances, road rage is a thing of the past, divorces don't happen. All of these things of the kingdom begin to be front and center in your life and those around you. The Lord of armies is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. So here's the promise. When we are still and slow down, we will know God. But here's the question, what does it mean to know God? Think about that. What does it mean to know God? See, knowing someone in general takes time. You, you can't rush a relationship, right? You just can't rush that. It, it's personal. It's individual, a relationship in a sense, think about it. You can't download a program to your computer. Even let's say this, you can't just download a program to your computer and say that I put it in this file or this folder and I know about the program. No, in order to know the program, you have to interact with it. You have to work with it. You have to to use it, right? You have to spend time with it. Just because you have it doesn't mean you know about it. I learned that through COVID. I don't know. I don't know if I share this with you, but one of the many hobbies that I've had through the years, now now again, this is pre-Christ, but one of the hobbies, I don't know if I share with you was, I was a techno DJ. Yeah, anybody who did not know that about, Me, yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I would invite, again, pre-Christ, but I would invite friends over. I would set up my two Technique 1200 turntables. I'd pull out the vinyl records from my stash and I would spin records for all who would hang out. Now, since then, obviously, I've given up the parties, okay? But I still love the music. I mean, just full disclosure, I work out to techno music. I listen to techno music. I love techno music. So in, in COVID, I thought, you know, everybody else is trying new hobbies what if I could go back and create techno songs again? Like why not, right? And so I decided that I was gonna go back and try to create something. Now the problem is the music industry, if you can imagine from the late 90s and early 2000s is radically different in 2020 than it was back then. In fact, everything is digital today, right? And so I downloaded this monumental program. Those are the music industry know it's called Ableton. I'll just show you, where's my keyboard? Anybody got my keyboard back here? I got a keyboard. Yeah. Thank you. My mixing keyboard. Thank you. Let's give him a hand for that. Thank you for that. So there I was in my home. And now here's the thing. I knew the basics of mixing and tone and tempo and rhythm and melody and bass and treble. I knew all those things, but I didn't know the program. The program was overwhelming. I mean, I downloaded this thing on my, on my MacBook Pro and after I put this massive file on, I'm like, okay, now what, right? Because just because you have it on the hard drive doesn't mean you know how to use it. So what did I naturally do to learn how to mix? Because what I could do is I could take any sound, bring it into the program and create a song, like anything and mix them all together. So what did I do? YouTube would have been the normal route, but I realized that wasn't enough. So I enrolled myself in the Ableton University. Yes, that's what I did. I went to school, went back to school during COVID and I watched these online videos and I watched these videos and then I would go to the keyboard or the mixer or the synthesizer and I'd put sounds in and then I would go back and troubleshoot and eventually I'd get stuck and I didn't know what to do so I called our on staff audio engineer at Long Hollow that mixes all of our songs, Jeremy Brown. Not the Jeremy Brown that led me to Christ in college but the Jeremy Brown. Just give the Lord a hand for Jeremy Brown, who's our audio engineer, right? All the mixing and songs, and he would get me out of trouble. And one of the things I learned about this software is just because I had it on the hard drive didn't mean I knew how to use it. Didn't mean I knew it. I had to experience it. It took time. I had to encounter it. I had to learn from engaging with the software. So here's the question. Anybody want to hear a sneak peek of the first release of the of the techno song that I created. Anybody wanna hear it? Okay, and let me just warn you, after this, your image of me as your pastor is going in the tank, okay? Colin, go ahead and crank it up. One techno fan in the room. Wait for it, wait for it. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, so so. alright, alright. Alright, cut, cut it, please, cut it, please. Cut. Jeremy Brown, cut the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. The one. <laughs> Candy may not come back for eleven. She may not come back. Now, here's the point of that whole, <laughs> whole thing, just because. Just because I had some music theory or even limited mixing knowledge didn't mean that I knew how to use the software. In fact, I was completely ignorant of how to use the program. I didn't know how to use the buttons or the sequencer or the mixing knobs or how to import sounds. Now, come in close. What is worse than that is that many people have downloaded Jesus to the hard drive of their hearts and he has never impacted them intimately in their, or in their head, but they has not impacted them in their hearts. It's very easy to download Jesus to the hard drive of your head and him not impact you intimately in the hard drive of your heart. What do I mean? You know a couple Sunday school stories you've learned. You can sing a couple Christian songs. You you, you know a couple Bible encounters. You, you may remember a couple sermons from a pastor years ago, but you don't know Jesus intimately. You've never, in, listen to me, you've never encountered him Personally, and that's the key word, you've never been filled with the power and the presence of the Lord. You've never sensed his presence. In a sense, you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so what happens is this, you have settled as a result for a synthetic surface level substitute for the presence and the power of God. And I know I'm talking to someone here, why? Because that was me at times. How how, how does it happen? How do you get there? You have to be still enough to know that he's God. And one of the ways we do that is to learn about him through the Bible. We spend time in his word, we meditate on his promises. You gotta remember, knowing the Bible is more than learning facts and figures about God and Jesus. In fact, I would say the more you read the Bible, watch this, the more you start to look and act like the author. Did you know that? It's amazing. And the goal of reading the Bible is not to master the Bible. The goal of reading the Bible is for the Bible to master you, for God to consume you. And so knowing is is this intimacy with another person. It's a relational component with an individual. And the the first time you see it is is in Genesis chapter four, and it's introduced by, by God with Adam and Eve. And notice what the text says. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, Knowing makes you think like he knew of her. I know a girl, yeah, I know that girl too. Yeah, I know the guy, I know that guy too. The CSB, I love this, smooths it out and gives you an interpretation for what the word know means. Watch this, the CSB says, the man was intimate, there it is, with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to their son. Knowing is this union, this oneness with another person, it's intimacy, it's trust. Now think of it this way. When you were dating your spouse, you did not tell your girlfriend or your boyfriend, who's your wife or husband at the time, hey, listen, let's go ahead and hurry up and tell me everything I need to know about you right now so we can get on with this marriage. (laughs) Did anybody do that? No. Because a relationship is intimate, it takes time, right? You have to slowly learn about a person. I I thought about this when I started and I thought, surely this is not gonna happen, but who knows in our world. Let's hope the future of online dating for our kids and grandkids is not you walk up with a cell phone with a file that you airdrop from one phone to another that says, my life struggles and stories, Robbie Gallaty. Now we can get married, now that you have the file, right? I mean, that doesn't work. Let's hope it doesn't work. But the reality is to know somebody takes time. You learn that slowly over time. Look at me. How much time do you spend with Jesus? Take Sunday out. See, because your life communicates a message to God of how important he is to you. And you speak that with how much time you want to spend with him. See, sadly, many people are gonna stand before the Lord one day and they're gonna think that they know Jesus, but the reality is you need to ask yourself, does Jesus know you personally? One of the most sobering lines in the Bible is Matthew 7, 21. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons? Did we not speak for you? Did we not do healings and see miracles? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, this is Long Hollow, a warning to all of us in here. There are some people, sadly, in this very room, joining us online, who will stand before Jesus on Judgment Day believing they are going to heaven because of the good deeds they did. And Jesus will say to you, Do we know each other? I'm sorry, I don't think we've met before. Do you know me? Because I don't know you. See, the question is not, do you know Jesus? The question is, does Jesus know you intimately? Who in here likes uh, Garth Brooks? Anybody like Garth? Raise hand high if you like Garth I mean, You have to like Garth Brooks, you're from Tennessee, right? I got an email from Garth's agent this week to let us know that he was in this service, by the way. He was sitting back here uh, the entire time I was preaching. And he just asked one thing. He said, I'm gonna sneak in. People may not recognize me. I'll sneak in and then I'll leave right before the end of the service. And so I told him, I said, once you leave, I'll share that you were actually in the, in the room. And uh, what's crazy to me is that I was watching him. Nobody recognized him the entire time he was here. Some of you are saying, "What are you talking about, Pastor?" Garth was in the house, and you didn't tell me Garth was here. I mean, God's greatest gift to me would have been answered prayer to meet him, right? <laughs> Golly, what's wrong with you, right? I'm playing. I made that up. Garth wasn't here this morning. <laughs> I'm you, I'm you. But I got you. Why? Because I want you to realize the emotion you felt when you felt like you missed meeting someone of importance in the world. Friends, somebody exponentially significant is here with us today and his name is God. And God is in this place every single week and some of you casually enter and leave and never connect with him. And here's the problem, it doesn't bother any of you. You're more upset right now thinking that you had missed meeting a man, but you are unconcerned with meeting with the God of the universe. And that's a, you see, that's a problem for us. And the difference between Garth and God is, Garth probably came here to get something from the Lord if he was here. God actually came here to give you something himself. See, some of you have become become way too comfortable with living a life disconnected from God. And so this week, I wanna challenge you to engage in a practice over the next few days. And I want you to write it down, so here's the challenge. I'm gonna give you a way to be present in the presence of God. I want you to set aside a time early in the morning, maybe at night, where you're gonna sit for a whopping three minutes in silence and solitude by yourself. I know what you're thinking. Three minutes, that doesn't seem like a long time. I dare you. Try it. Try it. And here's how you're gonna do it. You're gonna set an alarm on your phone. Why? Because you're gonna be sneaking itching to look at the time, right? Because if you don't set an alarm, you think, man, that's long. How much time I got left? Two minutes and 38 seconds. Wow. You yeah, know, That's how it's gonna work, I promise. So what you're gonna do is set an alarm. There's apps online. Some start with bells and end with bells and you do whatever you want. I want you to find a time and here's how it works. You're gonna find a comfortable chair. You're gonna maybe get on your face. I like to do that at times, kind of prostrate uh, on the ground. Um, uh, prostrate on the ground. I'm gonna lay before the Lord and I'm prostrate. Stay prostrate on the ground. lay <laughs> with the Lord. i uh, maybe sit in the presence of God. You're not doing this. You're just sitting in the presence of God. And you're going to take a couple deep breaths and you're going to allow the Lord to take the distractions of your life and to just let them kind of fall away in his presence. Friends, the goal of silence is not trying to get something from God. It's God getting you. Remember that. It's not you trying to make a deal with God to get something from it. No, it's God finally getting your undivided attention in his presence. I like to say it this way, silence is not absence of something, it's the presence of someone. It's not the absence of something, it's the presence of someone, namely God. And it's making time to sit in the presence of a timeless God. It's being caught up in the moment of the present. And here's what I want to close with. So many of us are concerned and worried about the next that we miss the now. what want you think about that. We're so busy thinking about the next that we miss the now. God's in the now. Who should I tell him sent me? I am in the now in the present. So let's not miss the moment. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and invite you to come. You can come and make these steps an altar just be in the presence of the Lord. Some are going to come to connect with God for the first time. Some are going to come to reconnect. You may be gotten off track, course correction. Let me pray over us and I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Father, I know in a room this size, there could be some who feel like they don't know who you are. They they know of you, but they feel like you don't know them intimately. You don't know them personally. And so God, I I pray they come and if you motivate them to just come spend just a moment in your presence, not to be in a rush, not to be in a hurry. And I pray for those who need to, to come back and reconnect with you very easy for us to disconnect and the plug to come out. And so I pray for us to reconnect, to reset, to plug back in and just be still. The Bible doesn't say be still and go, it says be still and know. So God be with us, meet us now, we ask in Jesus' name.